now. Let us, let us look to the reading and, and the preaching of God's word. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we ask that you would come now. That there be great unction, that your servant would lessen and Christ would increase. That the, the Spirit would work amongst us and teach us and reveal Jesus to us. That we might better understand the gospel. We might better understand who you are and who we are in Christ. So we ask that you would open our eyes and ears to your truth and that we might enjoy seeing you working amongst us and the calling of the lost and the building up of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 22, we're going to be reading verses 22 to 29. We're concluding chapter 22. Uh, this morning we're working our way through Acts. Uh, we're coming towards the end. Uh, we took a, uh, a pivot, as it were, recently. And from here on, uh, we'll be working in a, in a fast pace, as it were, in Acts. As uh, What is now recorded uh, is going to be the movement of Paul heading towards Rome and the multiple defenses of his ministry, but more importantly, the defense and the proclamation of the gospel and the witness of Christ that he is going uh, to be giving in different situations moving forward quickly as he is now in, in bondage and is under arrest uh, of the Romans. I'll remind you that Acts is written to, to confirm the certainty that Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. We've been seeing that throughout Acts. We see it in church history. And uh, we'll even see, again, a, a touch of that uh, this morning. So this is God's word. Listen as I read it. Acts 22, verses 22 to 29. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips... Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do for this man as a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, but I came, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. We see here Paul exerting uh, his, his rights of, as a citizen of Rome, and he's exerting his civil rights, as it were, in the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, civil rights are, are when a country or, or a state uh, recognize our God-given rights. Uh, 
Um, it is citizens in America that have these rights. They were subjects then in the uh, first, this time frame, first century, the Roman time. You know, sadly, we look throughout history and we see that uh, those civil rights could be lower or, or greater, whatever they are, this recognition uh, of God's given rights. It's not always consistent. And even sometimes when it's applied in a, in a state or a country or a political sphere gives uh, rights, recognizes, as it were, not giving them, but recognizing the rights that God gives. Uh, sadly, many times we see in history that civil magistrates don't even uh, stand to their own standards so that they may recognize something but not follow that and violate that amongst the folks who live in those lands. You know, here in America, we've been providentially blessed with uh, the the Western tradition, as it were, Western civilization that's been built upon a foundation working its way out. And, and many of the, the blessings that we enjoy in our civil rights are a recognition of God's uh, given, God-given rights to humanity as uh, Western civilization is, is uh, built upon at this point, a foundation of, of uh, Christianity and God's word. Uh, so much so, as I've said before, we uh, in America are, are often like fish who do not realize we are in water. We breathe biblical air, though we do not realize it, many of our neighbors who do not. Uh, but these things that we enjoy uh, come uh, from these things. We've been blessed with a constitution built upon the many uh, different documents that have, uh, over long times and seasons, have, have brought us this recognition, but sadly, even in our own country, we've seen that though we have what may be perhaps man's best attempt at a civil contract, a, a, a constitution as it were, even then we see throughout our history where our nation has failed uh, and not recognized the very rights that it has recognized. But as we look at our, our short passage, uh, as we're in between here, as Paul has, has been proclaiming the gospel to uh, the Jews that are there, as he has witnessed Christ to them, making clear to them that he is the Messiah, and, and he has this opportunity to speak, and then once he mentioned his mission to the Gentiles, and then they seek to begin a riot again, and the Romans step in, and then there's the, the push as it were, to, to bring uh, torture that they might figure out what's going on, violating these laws. We see the way that, that Paul reacts. And, and seeing his reaction, looking at this passage, uh, what I hope we'll all learn here and, and keep in mind is that Christians are to assert their civil rights for the sake of the gospel. You've been given these rights to so assert them for the sake of the gospel. God has providentially granted them to you. Don't let them just stand on the shelf. Use them for the kingdom. So we look at two things. Paul's use of his, of his civil rights for the gospel and Christians' use for their civil rights for the gospel. So we look at Paul and, and his situation. Now again, we, it seems like Paul just is constantly like in, in the pot in the fire, bouncing back and forth. He, he's finding himself in trouble over and over and over again. It's like Paul can't go anywhere without there being a confrontation uh, Paul, the Lord is using Paul to proclaim the gospel, to further the kingdom, and yet everywhere he goes, there's opposition against that work. So Paul is already back in trouble. 
for preaching the gospel message that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the one that saves through repentance and faith in Christ, their salvation, that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that his people, the Jewish people, had been waiting for. So this, 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 this mob that had just uh, a few passages earlier we looked at tried to kill Paul. They had dragged him out of the temple where they found him, and, and they were about to kill him, and it was the, the very Roman soldiers uh, who were involved in, in the passage now who had gone in, and they had saved him. Now, they didn't save him because they wanted to help Paul, per se. Uh, they just were done with riots and, and chaos in the streets. Romans were not very friendly when the law was not being kept. And the territories that they controlled, they were not interested in there being disruption and, and uh, anything that would cause the, the rule of law in Rome to be questioned or to, to bring turmoil or what, particularly in this area of the empire, what they saw was uh, a cantankerous people that were always about rebellion. So they were quick to move in. So Paul's about to be literally killed by a mob, as it were, outside the temple. There's chaos happening, and the Roman soldiers come in, and they rescue him, even though they are seeking just to, to quell this riot. And you'll remember, if you were with us last time, or if not, you can go to Sermon Audio and listen, or our website, or you can even just go back and, and read this afternoon the previous portions of uh, chapter uh, 22 and, and look at there at 21. But uh, Paul utilizes this aspect of um, reaching uh, to this Roman soldier by speaking to him in Greek, and he, and he asks him and persuades him to let him speak to the people. And then Paul starts speaking to the, the Jews there in their own language. So uh, the Roman soldiers, from what we can see, they, they were not understanding what Paul was saying. But that's when Paul began to, to proclaim uh, the gospel, and he was witnessing Christ to them. He was telling of his calling, and, and he was uh, proclaiming that the Messiah was here, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. The people were fine. Uh, the Jewish group... the had gathered were listening they were they were content and they were they were paying attention and then paul did one thing and it just got crazy again and that's when he mentioned that he had been called and actually been called by their messiah the lord jesus christ to go take the gospel to the gentiles and that was too much you remember it was too much for uh, the jewish people and there's this description here about how uh, when we started our reading, that they, they raise their voices and they, they literally say that this man needs to leave. He'd go away from the earth. He, he shouldn't be allowed to live. And it talks about how they're, they're throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust in the air. You can imagine what they're doing. Is they're, it's like those chaotic situations where you see folks, are, they're ripping off their outer garments, jackets, because they're getting ready to throw down. And they don't want anything to hold them back. Like they're looking for rocks to throw. It's about to go crazy. And the Roman soldiers again are thinking, we just ended this. What did this guy say? He, he must not. He must be a criminal. He must be a problem, a threat. And so they just move immediately in. They, they take him in. And the, the response is, well, hey, let's just do what we do best. We'll torture this guy. Whip him. Scourge him. We'll find out what's going on. Everyone will give answers to who they are and what they're doing once they're under pain. And so that's what they're, they send 
the soldiers to do. They, they take Paul and, and, and they, they, uh, they affix him. They, they prepare to, to begin this uh, scourging that was going to come. And, and in that, as they were seeking to, uh, to get answers, that is when Paul, as we see here in, in this context, he, he calmly speaks to them. He's not afraid to, to assert these uh, civil rights he has as a Roman citizen. And, and he calmly speaks to them and, and asks the question. He's not, it's not recorded to us that he's yelling. He's freaking out. He seems to be at peace and content in God's sovereign control. But he asks, is it, is it just to discourage a Roman citizen? Is that Okay which the soldiers right around we see in the context start figuring it out. He's asking this question for a reason. And we think, well, it's not that big a deal, but, but go back. Do you remember when Paul and, and the Christians ran into trouble in uh, Philippi and he was imprisoned and things happened there we looked at and, and when he let it be known that he was a, a Roman citizen after the fact that they were very concerned that it would be found out that they had what they had done to him. They would beaten him and put him in jail. They they were they came to him quietly and they, they literally were like begging him. Will you just we're going to open the back door of the prison? Will you like take off? Like get out of here? Like we need you to leave because we don't want we don't want the upper folks to know what we did because we violated your rights as a Roman citizen. And you'll remember just not go too in-depth, but at that point, Paul said, no, I'm not going to leave because Paul had been confronted and dragged into court, and it was all uh, in a way that if he were to leave, he knew that that would, would slander the gospel and the, and the new church that had been planted there. And so he stood his ground and said, no. But we have a different but similar situation here. Paul's rights, even in a greater way, have now uh, are about to potentially be uh, taken from him, an injustice to a Roman citizen. So much so that uh, when you go and look at the Roman law, what they were about to do to him without thinking and just rushing forward, this could potentially end up resulting in some of their executions. It was a big deal. You did not do this to a Roman citizen without trial. You had to have a justification through the courts to be able to, to bring this type of punishment. And Paul knows that. Perhaps there's an aspect that Paul is loving his neighbor and is con, you know, concerned for these soldiers, what might happen to them when it's found out. But we know without a doubt that, that Paul is bringing this up and, and seeking to use this and, and continuing to further uh, his gospel uh, mission. You know? Are you going to treat me as a criminal? Because I preached the gospel and some folks got upset? Are my rights then going to be taken? And what's the ramifications to that? And we know Paul isn't afraid to suffer. Paul isn't afraid to die. We go back just to chapter 20 here in Acts. And when Paul is meeting with, uh, when he's meeting with the Ephesian elders... And again, you remember, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He knows that suffering's coming because the Spirit is continually telling him that, preparing him. And while everyone else is trying to stop him, remember Paul was saying, no, no, that's where I'm supposed to go. The Spirit's just preparing me for what's coming. I know suffering's coming. But as he's talking to the, the Ephesian elders, this last meeting he had with them, he says in chapter 20, chapter 24, 
as they're begging him not to go. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul went to Jerusalem knowing these things were happening. He went knowing he was going to suffer, knowing that these trials and tribulations were coming his way. But he went because he, you remember, he wanted to be faithful to the Lord and to proclaim Christ, particularly to his Jewish people. But we know that Paul, in his ministry, was, was no stranger to, to suffering. And in an interaction in this letter, he, he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's dealing with uh, some issues with false teachers that are, that are coming in, and they're slandering Paul. And they're, they're questioning his, his call as an apostle, his call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and so he, in a way, comes in, and, and there's an, an exchange here in the writing where he, he mockingly confronts them, but as he does it, he reveals what it has been like for him, the trials that have come alongside his ministry and the things that he suffered willingly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we read these things, starting in, in 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." And he goes on from there. The point being, Paul is not someone who is afraid to suffer. So we're not looking at an instance here where Paul's been pulled aside and they're about to start whipping him and he's, he's freaking out in panic because he's never felt pain. He's never gone through hardship. That's not what's happening here. And yet Paul asserts his rights as a Roman citizen in that moment. He doesn't sit back and, and allow himself to be beaten unjustly by those soldiers who had brought him in. But instead, he, he brings forth. He does it in a way that I think looking at the context, we can see he's content. If God chooses to have these soldiers say, eh, whatever, Paul, and beat him anyways and scourge him and whip him, that, that he's ready to do that and go through that. But at the same time, he, he has not just accepted the fact 
that he has to go through this. And in fact, that it might very well hinder his witness there in Jerusalem, but even to those Romans, as he'll have opportunities moving forward, we'll see here next time, uh, to make a case. Because the Roman centurion wants to know, what? What is going on? What did you say and are saying and teaching that is causing these people to respond in such a way? And Paul will have the opportunity to be able to put that forth. Providentially, it's interesting here. We don't want to miss either that Paul is in God's perfect providence. He's he's born Jewish, but he's also born a, a Roman citizen. And that's come in handy. It's almost like God plans things and is in control. As God sends Paul and calls him to this ministry amongst the Gentiles, he's been able to make connections with uh, the, the Jewish people and explain to them the truths of the gospel and who Christ is. And at the same time, with his Roman citizenship, he is able to make connections and, and contact with the Gentiles uh, that are around him. God is, is using his providence for the furtherance of the kingdom. And Paul is happy to use both for the sake of the gospel. We've seen that before. Paul takes advantage of every opportunity and uses everything to the best of his ability for the furtherance of the gospel. So just a little bit there on Paul and his his rights and how he used them for the gospel. And then for the remainder of our time, we're going to look at Christians' use of their their civil rights for the gospel. What is it that we can see from from this passage and and collect and bring together that, that we might be able to, as God's people, utilize the rights that we have been given providentially in our time and land and how we might further those, using those and further the gospel for the glory of God and for the good of his people. I think it's important first that that Christians understand the implications of our dual citizenship. And we see a dual citizenship laid out before us for Paul. Paul really had like a (laughs) tri-citizenship. Uh, but ours is more, more dual in the fact that we're citizens of heaven and we're citizens of the United States. And it's important that we understand the, how those two citizenships work together and impact one another. God does call Christians to submit to civil magistrates and lawful things. We, we turn uh, ahead to Romans chapter 13. Starting in in, in verse 1, as as Paul is writing to the Romans, or the church there in Rome, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But it's not just Paul. The Holy Spirit uses Peter as well. As Peter writes in, in, in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, talking about this submission to authority. 
He writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then we keep in mind Acts, how this has been at tension all the way through this interaction between the the two citizenships. We see it with Paul, but also going back to Acts chapter 5, we see in Acts chapter 5 that it wasn't just Paul that was dealing with these things, but also uh, the apostles in the early church. In verse 29, we'll back up just a little bit. Uh, So uh, Peter and the apostles have been called before the, the authorities in Jerusalem because they're preaching the gospel. And as they're preaching the gospel, they've been told, stop. So they've been told by legitimate authorities, stop preaching the gospel. No more talking about Jesus. And this is how they respond. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then they go on from there. So I think, wow, okay, so there's, there's, there's some tension here. It's, it's perhaps maybe a little bit uh, more complicated uh, than one might think as we look at these dual citizenships. Uh, God has called us to be obedient to the authority figures that he has placed, and yet whenever those authority figures go against God's authority, we are called to submit to God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things. And we submit in a way as Paul is here, Paul is crying out for his rights to be recognized, but he's not silencing himself from preaching the gospel. And if it means he will be scourged, if it means he will suffer, then so be it. He understands the consequences. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians. The many ways he dealt with the consequences of his ministry labors. When any civil government tells Christians they must disobey God, Christians must obey And we must be ready for the consequences that will come. That is reality. That's what we see in God's word. Because we're blood-bought by Christ. We are his. And we can't commit treason against our king. It would be to, to turn our back on our savior, our king, our heavenly father who has adopted us into his family. To turn our back on him and, and follow a lesser authority who is in rebellion against the great authority. We cannot do that. And yet we see the way Paul is going about this, even as we read the way that that Peter responded there before the authorities in Jerusalem, and and they are not responding in in venom and and being vindictive, but they're witnessing Christ. They're being loving, and, and they are being clear and bold and courageous in the stand that they take. So we can be thankful. Thankful for where the Lord has placed us and providentially in history and in time and on this earth and thankful for the blessings that we have uh, in this nation, but also recognize the fact that it is not perfect. We're in a sinful world. Many sinful things have happened and we can recognize that and be prepared Christians in America need to understand their civil rights 
You need to understand the times we live in. When you understand these things, then you can be, uh, have more wisdom as you take God's word and apply it to the situation. That way we don't find ourselves uh, reacting off the edge of the road on one side or on the other. But instead, we, we seek to, to carry down the road in a godly manner and submission to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, there is something to think about here. There is a difference between uh, Paul's situation and, and your situation. Paul was a subject to the Roman Empire. So in Rome, power was the emperor. What the emperor said, that was law. So if you thought, what is law? Emperor. Emperor is law. But our founders went the exact opposite route as they worked their way out. And, and, and so we have a, a different situation, praise God. We are not subjects as Paul and the other Jews and most of the world were to the Roman Empire. But we are citizens of the American Republic. So whereas in Rome and other monarchies and kings and, and emperors where the, the, the crown was law... On America, it's different. The U.S. Constitution lays out that the power is in the hands of the people. And the Constitution is the law. And so that the law is king. And it's the exact opposite of what we've seen in history and in other places. God-given rights are, are protected in a greater way in our land. We read and understand the Constitution Bill of Rights, and particularly Christians should understand the First Amendment. God's given it to us. We should understand what it is, the Establishment Clause. We should be able to understand the, the protection of the exercise of religion. Otherwise, quite frankly, Christians can be bullied into silence and disobedience to their king. One of the recent attorney generals of our country he wrote that he believes the civil right issue of our time is our religious liberty, which is enshrined in the free exercise clause and the establishment clause of the First Amendment, is at great threat. It's a reality in the times that we are in. And it's important that we understand these things because we look at the way Paul, Paul was willing to utilize his rights for the furtherance of the kingdom repeatedly. And we should be willing to utilize the rights God's given us for the furtherance of the kingdom as well. You know, there, being in an age when things are eroding in this area, it's also good to know them because you're probably, particularly the children, you're probably going to be facing this more. And we're going to be facing this more as Christians. These choices like we see with Paul, they're going to be coming more and more. And we need to be ready, prayerfully prepared to make the sacrifices that are going to be called to us. Now, this passage, I think, as we look at it, is very similar to the one in 16, but different. But it's dealing particularly with, with civil authority and rights and the gospel and the kingdom. So this is not a passage that we're talking about dealing with just justice or injustice. There are many other passages we can go to that deal with that and, and, and touch on things whereas all people are made in God's image. We have God-given rights. What do we do when, when those, our, those rights have been recognized and ourselves have been taken away or in others? What do we do? Those are other passages that we can look to. Those are there, but this particularly we are dealing with 
Christians asserting their civil rights for the sake of the gospel, for that particular place. Christians need to respond correctly to the civil magistrate that's unjust and ignores the Christian's civil rights. Again, as I mentioned, we live in a fallen, sinful world. It's going to happen. It's probably going to happen more and more. And there are two really ditches that I mentioned. But the two ditches you can hit is one ditch a Christian can can just cower and, and allow all the rights to be taken. I'm scared to death of the idea that I've been challenged. And just, boom, jump into that ditch. And that's not good. That's not right. But then the other ditch that the Christian can fall in is one that they turn into uh, to, to someone that no matter what is said to them from an authority figure, that it is automatic, I am in rebellion against it. Who are you to tell me anything? And boom, that's another ditch we want to avoid and stay out of. We want to, we want to ride down the middle of the road as God has, has laid out before us. We, as I've mentioned before, Christians want to be, should be, we should be the best citizens and neighbors in this land. But we also, as we look at how Paul used these rights, we should be reminded that Christians should assert, not be afraid, but take hold of these civil rights that God has providentially given to us for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel. As we gather together next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we'll be able to see as Paul now, having asserted these rights, is going to be given the opportunity to continue to witness Christ to more and more folks, to greater authorities as the the Roman soldiers are going to be bringing together leaders in Jerusalem. And Paul is going to be able to, to boldly and courageously proclaim the gospel to them. Let's pray. Really, Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word as we move through it. It is a blessing to be able to move through books. And as we come to this, this portion, this passage in, in Acts, and uh, perhaps is a, something we don't think much about or, or perhaps is an area that has been abused and uh, perhaps one that's been ignored, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we pray that you would teach us and that we will uh, have learned from our time together and that we might glorify you in, in these ways, growing in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.